Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. It's time for this week's Friday Morning GM with co-host Voss Laricos. Voss, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. Rejuvenated with the bye week and uh, looking forward to this final stretch. Hoping to uh, keep it rolling. Just a great run. Uh, it was really a fun bye week, and I've talked about this on all the other shows, but just having a, a, win to, a win to root for in each of the four time slots is the coolest thing about the, that that whole weekend. Uh, you know, one, four, eight, and then eight again on Monday night. So pretty cool. Definitely, definitely. Has us considering things like the Ravens Super Bowl odds, the Ravens chance to win the number one seed, et cetera, et cetera. Let's start with the number one seed in the AFC. And and why is this even pertinent on a Friday morning GM show? Here's why, folks. Um, Knowing what your team's chance is to win the Super Bowl, to make a deep playoff run, is critical to decisions on how you expend cap in a given year. You have to be close enough, at least that would be my philosophy on it, in order to really justify the expenditure of cap. So uh, for my money, the Ravens are, are very clearly in the driver's seat for the number one seed, and not just because they can win out and do it, because I think they legitimately have the best chance to get the number one seed of, of uh, the teams out there. We've been through this a little bit in terms of of, uh, of what that has to happen, but the Ravens automatically do it with 5-0, and oh, and they can do it with, I would say, most 4-1 and one combinations that include a win over Miami. Right, right. Uh, they do have a very tough schedule remaining, but they're playing at a very high level. Pretty much there's been a general consensus form that there's a big three in each conference. AFC is KC, Baltimore, Miami, NFC is San Francisco, Philadelphia, Dallas. And I do kind of uh, agree with that division, right? At least so far this season. Yeah, absolutely. And so if if you're looking, does my team have a chance to win the Super Bowl? If you're Buffalo, just being having to play these games on the road is going to be a pretty significant uh, downer. You know, you're if you're Dallas or Philadelphia, that hasn't yet been determined in the NFC East. The, the NFC East will be wide open if Dallas uh, wins this upcoming game against Philadelphia. Uh, I'll toss this out there. The odds of the Ravens winning the Super Bowl, the highest price I found was on DraftKings at 8-1. to one. That implies that there is an 11.1% chance for the Ravens to win the playoffs. It's one out of nine um, for for uh, uh, an eight to one uh, underdog. Uh, Devoa and their model says it's 25.4% that the Ravens win the Super Bowl, which will tell you that pricing on the DraftKings number is fantastic. Um, and uh, there are a lot of problems with futures lines. This isn't a show for that. That's that's for a gambling show. But um, I think one of the interesting things is while the Ravens are are 25.4% to win the Super Bowl. They're 45.8% to play in the Super Bowl, which is not double 25.4. So that would tell you they ex- would expect the Ravens to be a favorite in the game if they go to it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure that would hold up against any team, but about a 55% chance 
as of right now to win the game if they play in it, which would be the equivalent of being about a maybe a one and a half point favorite or or, or thereabouts. So uh, uh, good, good uh, makes us feel good about about their chances, certainly in that 66 percent chance to play in the conference championship. That's that's always been the goal to me. If you make it to the conference championship, it's a good season. Um, I certainly agree with the thought of realizing that you have a greater opportunity this year than you may next year, especially with all the upcoming free agents that we've mentioned and the potential for some personnel losses. Um, certainly don't want to go too far, but if there is a right player, a Namakasu or someone of that ilk that is available, um, I think now is the time. Strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, I, and I don't have a problem pulling the trigger and, and spending some 24 or 25 cap dollars as it'll eventually work out in terms of that or spending some of the pool of future fungible uh, cap dollars on such a player. I don't know who that is right now. And a lot of that bargain bin and and the you know even the bin of very talented players has been picked clean. Um, and then there's a whole lot of other players who aren't talented and are out there, Zach Ertz and whatnot, who, who I guess he signed with Philadelphia now, but um, mm-hmm. who became available and didn't make any sense just because that's the level of talent you typically have in December. Right, right. Yeah, not a, a slim pickings at this point for sure, but if the right player arises with the right need arises, uh, at this point when you are right on the cusp there, when you know you're one of the top five or six teams, um, I will pursue anything you can do to maximize that opportunity. That's uh, fair enough. And we definitely just saw Philadelphia do that this week with the signing of Shaq Leonard to, to uh, patch some of their linebacker woes. And Leonard may not be the player he was, obviously, but he but he still could certainly help that Philadelphia team with the problems they've had at, at inside linebacker. Better than Morrow, at least. Yeah. Let's go on and, and talk about some housekeeping items on the Ravens uh, uh, GM docket this week. One of them is they have two players on IRDTR designations right now. So they've designated to return both Malik Ham and Pepe Williams from uh, IR. I believe Pepe Williams already was last week and Malik Ham is this week. So there Correct. is a w- one-week staggerization uh, between the, the two of them. Now, you and I have talked a little bit in the production meeting. Is there room for these guys on the roster? I personally don't see room at this point. The only way I could see Pepe, uh, barring injury, um, is if the Ravens want to just give up on Jalen Armour Davis. And uh, and I personally would not do that for Pepe at this point, at this juncture of their careers. Malik Ham, there is potentially a nagging um, groin injury with Malik Harrison that maybe if that worsens or deteriorates, then maybe you could see Ham take his spot. But Right now, it's a pretty tight 53. It really is. And look at him, really interesting player because he's the guy who who did some good things in coverage during the preseason. He really fits that Sam linebacker probably better than any single player on the team. Maybe Van Noy is at about the same level. Van Noy certainly has a lot of experience in coverage in his career, but he's not the he doesn't have the kind of speed he did at, at one point. Mm-hmm. Malik Camp could be the guy. He could be a guy who would come in and play a little Sam linebacker. It'd be an early down responsibility. So you mentioned Harrison has been out. Harrison and Robinson have been splitting that base defense role. Um, and uh, it's been Harrison who has typically been on the strong side of those formations. So, you know, he, he's not a coverage guy and never really has been. But uh, uh, but Ham could be. And, and you know, if, if Harrison's out, hey, maybe that makes a lot of sense. Um, I do kind of see both these moves – 
as prophylactic in nature. So they get a window on each of these guys. And if it works out, sorry, if it works out, if the worst happens and they have an injury at one of those positions, either at corner where a lot of injuries occur or an outside linebacker where they've got some older players and, and, and some nagging injuries like the one to Harrison to concern themselves with, then they have a player available during this window. Agreed. And especially with the older players at the edge group, you don't want to burn them out with too many snaps. Van Noy had to take on a larger snap share in the previous mm-hmm. game because Harrison was unavailable. Um, you don't want that going into January, you know, with Van Noy and potentially Clowney running out of gas at that point. Yeah, they've they've I mean they've done so well with uh with managing snaps generally speaking on defense. I just want to see how many snaps. Van Noy has now played 300 snaps on the year in 9 games. So 33 snaps a year at his age is probably about the highest I'd really want to go. Um but still, you know, it's it's managed. They've done really a good job of rotating those guys. Uh what, what do we what do we have for the other ones that I'm looking at? Clowney has played 464 snaps in 12 games. That's a lot. Um, probably more than I would have expected him to play. And Owe has played fewer games, but he's at 292 in eight games. So he's he's been about 36 or 37 per game. I was concerned about Clowney's usage about a month ago, but with the return of Owe, they have been able to pare down his snap counts over the last few weeks. So that's encouraging at least. I guess the other bit of housekeeping is that the Ojabo is officially finished for the season. I don't think we've touched on that. On this, on this, uh, this, this show here. Yeah, um, I, I, I believe I heard that, and and it was a reference to surgery having already occurred. Right, it wasn't a matter of, and I, I didn't right. have the answer on the other show that this came up. Yeah, it, his, it was a minor ACL cleanup or ACL surgery. Not a, I don't okay. think it was a full reconstruction, but something to do with the ACL, I believe. Okay, all right. Well, hopefully he comes back from that. Obviously having. Um, lost almost two full years of development is really bad. One of the one of the questions that came up, uh, and I was talking to Brian about this, and the, the show will be out Monday, by the way, on the defense. Apologize for that, but the roster evaluation show for the offense came out today, and the defensive one will be out on Monday. They were supposed to be in the opposite order, but uh, people have been asking, where's part one, where's part one? That's a good thing. <laughs> that means you guys are listening. I really appreciate I that. Have- I had that same question, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the defense will be out on Monday. I wanted a strong show to to, to hold back for then, and I, I apologize for for messing up the order of the shows. But uh, with the Jabo, uh, I think the Ravens now have learned their lesson about players that they have a chance to NFI. Yeah. And uh, with Voris, they've kept them on NFI. With Vedvik, there wasn't really any question about it. Uh, with Nick Moore, they're putting him on NFI for the whole year. And, and with... Uh, uh, you know, Tyus Bowser, they're obviously keeping him there and saving the money, which is that's not un- unexpected. But then the, the the big one that they didn't do it for was a job out. He's a drafted player who was hurt during the process. They could have retained a year of his um, uh, team control and mm-hmm. paid him something for it because they can still do that. Um, but I, I guess. You know, Ajabo was adamant about his ability to play this year, didn't want to sit out the whole year, didn't want to shorten his window to free agency. And probably that was a really big mistake on the Ravens' part. They probably should have held out for that to be the um, uh, the situation with David. And and unfortunately now they're, you know, they're going to lose him a year early. And he's basically at the Paul Kruger point now. Mm-hmm. Paul Kruger, one sack, one interception in two years. And Ajabo has two sacks and two forced fumbles in two years. Um, which is something, but 
Kruger actually was in a much better place. He'd actually been practicing with the team the whole time. I don't think he suffered any significant injuries in those first two years. He just was having a hard time breaking in because he didn't play special teams. And I believe they were cross-training Kruger as a five technique a little bit too, but it's been a few mm-hmm. years since that. Might have had something to do with it. I guess in the team's defense, Ojaba was able to play last year, although in very limited action, and maybe they thought – if Lamar doesn't get hurt and we're making a playoff run, we can use a situational pass rusher. Um, but I would have at least kept him on NFI until that became uh, clear that he was available to, to rejoin the team. Uh, it seemed like they were just doing the player a favor um, that wasn't necessarily in the best interest of the, of the club. I, I think that was part of the contract negotiations, honestly, because mm-hmm. otherwise I can't come up with a logical reason for it. He's a younger guy. I mean, sorry, he's a he is a fairly young player, but he's a guy who had played very little organized football. So you really don't want to lose developmental years on a guy like that. And sure. it just it's a shame the the way that worked out. But hopefully he's still got a little something in the tank and the Ravens will have him for two more years. And, and hopefully that works out uh, in their favor. Let's take a moment, go over the Ravens injury report for the week. And uh, do you want to take us down that? I have it up in front of me, but, uh, but uh, uh, I don't have it in front of me, Ken. If you, okay, if you so have it in front of you, mm-hmm. I will. Uh, the top of the list is Rashad Bateman, who was out with an injury on Wednesday. We do not yet have Thursday's report yet. We're recording this, by the way, at about 2.20 in the afternoon. Things change quickly in the NFL. So if there are transactions today, we don't know about them yet. They'd be released later in the afternoon. Uh, Malik Ham fully practiced. He's back on IRDTR. That's the same for um, Pepe Williams, uh, who's back uh, fully. Uh, Harrison is groin injury, limited practice. Uh, Marlon Humphrey, full practice, back from the calf. Says he's good to go as of yesterday's uh, um, uh, presser. How do you arrange for playing time with Marlon Humphrey, given the, the, the quality of play they've gotten out of the defensive backfield? I think I would uh, ease him in with Darby. Um, and and sort of, I think they did that when he first after the first injury this year, and then he sort of rotated in with Darby and Yassine, and then eventually got up to speed before suffering this calf issue. I, I've made this point before, but you go back to 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. the Ravens had basically three boundary cornerbacks that they were constantly rotating through. I don't think that's a bad way to to set up your defense, keep your legs fresh. Brandon Stevens has played maybe 99 percent of all snaps this year, so. Um, so fresh legs never hurt. Okay, so I'm in agreement on the whole fresh legs thing. Would you be, in fact, at this point, trying to rotate Stevens out for some snaps? Because he has played all the snaps, but he's also the best corner. Right, right. Um, matchup dependent. I think maybe if maybe this Rams game, I guess the Rams easiest game, but maybe toughest cover as far as you know Nakua, you know, matchup on linebackers, etc. I don't know. I think I'd probably keep keep Stevens going at this rate okay. and and rotate on the right side and maybe even see where it goes. See where it goes. But uh it's a good problem to have. Yeah, it is a good problem to have. And and uh, Darby at this point in his career understands who he is. He's one of the players I'd really like the Ravens to try and retain next year, mm-hmm. uh if it's not particularly expensive. But if it's you know, two year contract, uh modest premium to the vet minimum, I'm good with it. Um, I I'd really like to see him back for that. Um, Definitely. Uh, one th- one player on the injury report is a little troublesome, I'll say, and that's Justin Matabike. So he's returning from a concussion. Trenton Simpson is concussion full practice. Matabike is concussion limited. Now, 
this may get into the NFL's concussion protocol and the various stages for it. And Matapike may not have been cleared all the way through the protocol. So if you'll indulge me for a second, I'll go through the stages very quickly and what they are. Um, The first is symptom limited activity. So the player is is in phase one, they're prescribed rest, limiting if, uh, or if necessary, avoiding activities that increase or aggravate sy- uh, symptoms. Phase two is aerobic exercise. So under the supervision of the team staff, the players graduate up their cardiovascular work. Um, and, and that's uh, stage two. Obviously, you're not on a football field at that point. Phase three is football-specific exercise. So the player continues cardiovascular exercises increased and may mimic sports-specific activities, um, but again, uh, under supervision. Uh, The fourth is non-contact training drills, and I believe that's the first time you actually get out on the field. So the player is encouraged to continue his cardiovascular work, and he he can do anything on the football field that does not involve contact, and that's with a player or object on the field. Mm -hmm. So you can't, can't hit a tackling dummy, can't practice your rip moves on Anthony Weaver, uh, that would be too much. That would be contact, but you you can go ahead and uh, um, be on a football field and presumably run around, do your calisthenics normally. Uh, might be non-contact positional drills you could work in, although I don't know what that would be for a defensive lineman because most of their things involve some sort of large object or opposing person when they're <laughs> practicing for things. But they might have walkthroughs, for example, would be something he could still participate mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And then phase five is full clearance for football activity. So my take on this is that by having him limited, he's still in stage four of the concussion protocol. So not a given yet, but he's got Thursday, Friday, and maybe Saturday too. I don't know when this is the last time they can they can uh, put a green check mark on it, but uh, they still have some time to be approved to play on Sunday. I think it can go right up until Sunday. Anecdotally, I have noticed um, the concussion protocol – um, a little bit different this season, maybe just from playing fantasy football. And you see players, oftentimes players were cleared by Tuesday and they're not being cleared till Friday, Saturday um, more this year. So uh, I, I just anecdotal, but I did notice that it does seem to be a little bit different than it has years past. If Matabike cannot play, I think you need to make a move on the defensive line. We've talked about it several times. We don't want to go into a game with four defensive linemen especially right. not when you're – Matabike has been carrying the largest snap share of all of them. So now you're asking guys that haven't been playing to take that on. That, that would be very difficult. Right. And the guy who would, I guess, make the most sense would be Rayshad Nichols coming off the, the the practice squad as that fifth guy. And and that's not somebody you can depend on a lot. I think in terms of the Rams, they're very dependent on their run game right now. If it is a wet game, they might be more dependent on their run game. And you might see, you know, Kyron Williams taking a bigger share and the Rams really trying to lean on a depleted Ravens line when I think most teams in the NFL right now think the way to try and beat the Ravens is to make sure you mix in a lot of runs, at least given Mm -hmm. that they've made the choice to, you know, give up some yardage on the ground, whereas they're not doing it in the air. Right. Right. And I think that was a stroke of genius. Um, I've made the point in the past, run defense is uh, the least important phase in playoff success. DVOA bears that out. So uh, anyway. 
I'll, I'll add one thing about this. And this is a, you know, I always talk about how defense requires variance. And all you have to do is look at average yards per play and know that if the offense has a zero variance attack and they just gain their average yards and every play, well, they'll, they'll march right down the field and score every single possession. So right. defense requires variance. They require a fair, you know, a set of things, um, penalties being one of them, sacks, uh, turnovers for sure are a huge one, uh, strings of incomplete passes. Uh, tackles for losses are a relatively small variance item within that set, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, run plays just don't have the same level of variance that pass plays do uh, associated mm-hmm. with them. So it's, it's uh, you want pass defense and the Ravens have, have done it with high variance um, pass plays, even though they haven't given up a lot of long plays, they've certainly had a lot of long negative plays. They by far lead the NFL in sack yards. So uh, right. uh, I, I think that's a, a it's kind of a the, a way I would look at it and try and explain it in terms of why I think it's so brilliant that they that they've chosen pass defense over run defense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, weather game coming up. Now, I guess we have the question of who, which team does this favor? And and right now I'm seeing 64 degrees. This is actually this morning I looked. 64 degrees, rain, pretty much 100%. So going to be a miserable day out there, no doubt. And and wind between 12 and 17 miles per hour. Pretty high wind, I would call that. Not, not outrageous, but it's pretty high wind. Who would you see that favoring in a game against the, the Rams? I think it still favors the Ravens uh, because the Rams, no-name, UDFA-laden defensive front outside of Donald, I think the Ravens can go heavy, um, go to 22, and get after them a little bit. Um, but and, and, and the Ravens have that the uh, inside linebacker pairing certainly favors the Ravens. That's that's a that's definitely a good point. I look at the kicking game and I say that's not something the Ravens want to give up. You don't ever want wind when you have Justin Tucker and the other team who has whoever. I uh, don't remember if the Rams kicker is anybody particularly good. Uh, he did kick some make some kicks in this game against the Steelers and the or Browns. I'm trying to remember who that who that is. Uh, I think he's a a journeyman or a, a rookie. Um, at one point, okay. they didn't have a punter or a kicker under contract after the draft, I believe, and, and got rookies ah. for both for both, <laughs> or a long snapper. They were they were bare bones. <laughs> That's a team looking to save some money there. Uh, you don't need the kicking game. I, it's kind of like the, the Colts <laughs> of the late '60s when Lou Michaels was doing the kickoff cookouts and the extra points. And I, I just look at the guy kick; it's painful to watch him. You know, he's just straight ahead, hard toe kicker, and he, he has a decent leg and whatnot, but he's horribly inaccurate. And, uh, you know, I think he's a defensive lineman. He played defensive end for the Ravens and the Rams and some other teams during his time in the league. But uh, painful to watch Lu- this guy kick. Lucas Haberisk is the, okay. the Rams kicker. All right. Well, I think I think the Ravens probably will lose more with Tucker than than the the Haberisk factor would be a negative for the Rams. Mm-hmm. Just I'm just I'm just going to say that. Uh, well, uh, the the other thing about weather, the Rams have liked putting it on the ground here, but I think I agree with you that that it's it should benefit them. I think that Stafford, who's been pretty much a dome quarterback his whole career, I guess he might did he play a little bit in the, in the Coliseum before they went and moved indoors. I guess he did. No, that was the first year, right? That's why they made the big splash to to bring fans to the new stadium. I thought, but uh, yeah, Stafford. I don't think arm strength. I, he definitely has been an indoor quarterback most of his career, but he's still strong armed. I, I would mm-hmm. say may even have the wind 
may impact Lamar's deep ball more than Stafford's, even at their mm-hmm. even at their different age, I would say. And I'm personally very upset about the weather report because my children I'm taking my children to the first ever Ravens game this weekend. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> Poncho up. They'll yeah they'll still have yeah. fun as long as you can you can give them food to eat and whatnot. That's uh yeah. that's what the kids care yeah. about anyway. All right. Uh, any activations coming due to weather from this game? So we, with Travis Vokalek is a name that, that they have not used any elevations on. Would they want a fourth tight end, including Ricard, for a game like this? I could see it. Um, and maybe at the expense of... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Mustafer plus Salah. Um, I, I think, you know, if, you, if you're looking at a weather game, you're probably going to bolster the trenches. The other one, as you mentioned earlier, would be Nichols if Matabike, mm-hmm. even if Matabike, you might even just want Nichols just because this is the game where you want a, a sixth defensive lineup. Yeah, good and maybe point. You put, and your and your your seventh uh, cornerback is is not, uh, you know, you don't necessarily think you need him that much this week. So that might be a consideration. Right. Uh, it, it, both these teams may be able to move the ball at will, by the way, including through the air as, as this game plays out. Oftentimes these weather reports, particularly when they relate to wind, just don't come to fruition the same way. I do expect we'll get rain on that day, but uh, right. uh, you know, it, it may rain for, for 45 minutes of the whole game and the rest of it's uh, kind of clear and whatnot. But affects them things like winning a toss and whether you defer or not, the Ravens you know, might might choose not to defer as they pretty much always would if they have a chance to play with wind or clear weather to start the game. Right. Or maybe the weather forecast is supposed to change in an hour and a half and you want the ball in the second half. Um, Wind favors defense, but rain favors offense because on a slippery field, Mm -hmm. the offensive player knows where he's going. The defensive player doesn't. Um, But then wind, anything over 10 miles an hour is, is considered negatively impactful to the offense completely agree and we thought in 2019 in particular Lamar looked really good in rain soap games in fact he was good in 18 as well I think his career record starting games in the rain is nine and three so Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty much about his overall record but but it's still quite good Um, we do want to do one more thing on this show so let's just jump right into it and that is to each make a list of three players with the most to gain from the remainder of 2024. And I understand from our production, we, we made up our lists a little bit differently. Um, and I, I'll just say, I made my list up in terms of who has the most to gain. It could be playing time, could be contract dollars, could be whatever. Um, but but the, it, I included some, you know, at least one younger player on my list. I, I And you did it by a slightly different means. Right. I, I'm pretty much, I think we're consistently on the show, looking at it from the team standpoint. Uh, a lot of these general manager, roster construction. Uh, so I figured uh, let's look at it from a player standpoint and basically what three players have the most variance uh, to their career earnings based off of these next five games in a way. All right. uh, maybe, maybe not, maybe more towards their 2024 earnings, I should say, actually. 
because that's probably a better way to do it. But uh, I, I did a couple honorable mentions. I'll, I'll open with that. I kind of lumped them into two buckets. I think most of these players are kind of already locked into a range of what they're going to be making next year. Uh, already locked into near the top of the market are Matabike, Zeitler, and PQ uh, for their respective positions, I believe. And then limited by their uh, their position or their injury history are uh, Gus, Pierce, Darby, and Gino. Uh, so those are my seven honorable mentions. Um, and I think the other three players have more to gain or to lose um, than the next, than the next, the top three, more than those seven. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll jump in with my number three thing. I, I cheated. I used a pairing here, two guys on the defensive line, Roderick Washington and Travis Jones. While those guys are both going to be with the Ravens in 2024, so there's not an issue of of any additional salary. Broderick's already got his deal. Travis is playing towards his. You could argue that the last five weeks out of Travis Jones in year two are going to have a significant impact on his career earnings, but I think that'd be a little bit of a stretch. It'll be mostly what happens in year three and four. But Jones is fighting for snaps and playing time um, next year, and it would be nice if he could break out from being simply a nose tackle and do more than that. In Washington's case, it's a matter of they need to see more from him in terms of, mm-hmm. of what he's got. His his last year of his contract uh, could be in jeopardy otherwise. And uh, he's a guy who, uh, you know, we, we certainly are, are, are rooting for because, hey, he's one of the guys we've got. Um, mm-hmm. So th- those two for me are the, are the defensive linemen who have a lot to play for. Sure. Uh, Jones was my predicted breakout player of the year. Hasn't quite lived up to that. So I would love to see that down the stretch. My number three is Davian Clowney. He is eighth in pass rush win rate per ESPN this season. PFS 18th best edge rusher. OTC values him at $15.5 million. Uh, his play wow. this year, he's only making two and a half. Still 30 years old, so not super long in the tooth. I think if he can maintain the pace he's on down the stretch, uh, he could have a multi-year payday. Uh, his best season he's had, potentially, of his career. There are two other players in the same draft class, Khalil Mack and uh, Lawrence, from the Marcus Lawrence of the Cowboys. Lawrence is making $13.5 million. Khalil Mack is still making $23.5 million. So uh, if he keeps it up, I think he's probably – could be could price himself out of the Ravens' future plans, truly. Def, definitely a possibility. And, uh, you know, Brian and I were talking a little bit about him last night in terms of 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 how the Ravens could even structure something. You have to be highly incentive laden. Uh, and it, it's very possible he's out of there. I, I, I agree completely with that. Um, if he were to to uh, fall apart the rest of the way, I think the Ravens still want him. Get hurt. Right. Even. I mean, something that I think the Ravens still want him. I just don't know if they can um, afford him in that case either. But Regardless of what Clowney does the rest of the way, I think the Ravens are really on to something with going for bargain basement pass rushers. They're they're largely a scheme-driven system. They are very patient about getting second man sacks and second, you know, you always want to have some people who can generate some of the initial pressure, but you also want plenty of cleanup guys. And basically, high motor is the most important um, single quality that they seem to want in pass rushers. And with having a Jabo back and possibly Bowser as well next year, we'll see how that plays out uh, down the stretch. Um, you know, it, they're still going to want at least one veteran, but I don't know how many veterans they're going to want. Sure. Very good point. Very good point. McPhee to Houston to Clowney is uh, last four years, really five years. So they've had one each year. Yeah. And and Jason Pierre Paul, they've had others, but anyway, but mm-hmm. Benoit, but yeah, but it's been it's been great. They've been a, done a really good job of doing that. Are we up to my number two guy here. Yes. Okay, so my number two guy is also a play guy. 
Um, and, and this affects who the, how the Ravens approach the draft in part. But Keaton Mitchell is the guy. He's had 29 career carries at this point. We're already have crowned him, anointed him in all the ways. You know, the Ravens number one running back for 2024. And largely that's because the, the, the Ravens themselves gave him the most snaps this last week, which is terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm very positive about about certainly about uh, what he'll do. Very bullish on him, uh, but I'd like to see him um, improve in a couple of different areas. One is, you know, continue to show progress as a receiver where that had not been a big part of his game, and and have the Ravens have the confidence to let him be on the field on third down because he's still a, a real threat there. Um, and then what he he cannot continue to break tackles at the rate he has so far. He's again 13 missed tackles forced at 29 carries. That won't continue, but it's but I if if we could still continue to break tackles at a high rate and make us feel more confident about the power that he's got, um I don't think there's any question he'd be the number one back next year and I don't think they'd go high at running back. I don't think they'd go for a two or a three say at running back. Yes, yeah, certainly uh that's that would be Perfect. If he can continue, I think pass protection is a place where he can certainly improve down the stretch as well. He's not a tall guy, but he's has some good power. So maybe he can learn to use that leverage a little bit to his advantage. It would be absolutely perfect. You have a franchise quarterback who seemingly elevates every running back he plays beside. And then you have a explosive, almost 10 yards of carry back for peanuts for the next couple of years. That would be a great way to build the roster. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, your number two guy. My number two is Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, OTC projects him at three and three point six million value to the team this year. Certainly less than his fifteen million dollar contract. However, his seventy five point one PFF receiving grade is the best on the team. Um, his five point five yak per reception is the best of his career. He only has two drops on the year, and his 8.7 yards per target is his best since his All-Pro 2015 season. Um, I was just looking for that. (laughs) Yep, 31 years old, so older, certainly older. Um, So here's the thing for me. He's been efficient on lower volume, and he's even, you know, third most snaps most games out of the receiving core. If he can maintain that efficiency – with increased volume due to the Mark Andrews void, uh, I think he could be paid wide receiver two money next year by one of these teams. A lot of these teams, are we needed more receivers. We need more receivers. If not, the days of $15 million a year or double digit are, are long gone for him. So, uh, so I do think the next five games is really going to decide where his career goes. It, 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 the door is somewhat open for him to make a lot more money, but let's also be realistic. First of all, he's dealing with the nagging shoulder injury. He may have other injuries too, because everybody does at this point, but the shoulder is the one we've heard about right now. He's got 47 targets on the year. There's nothing I can say about that target total that is surprisingly low or high. Uh, it's, it's about what I would have expected. He's you know 12 Ravens games, and he's had about four, four slightly less than four targets per game. Right on the money. In fact, when I was asking people at the beginning of the year, give me games, give me give me targets per game, give me yards per target. Um, the figure that he's really excelled in is yards per target, much higher than than expected, probably by about two and a half yards more than I would have expected. Um, maybe yeah, maybe two yards, but anyway, much better than, than I would have expected. Uh, the games he's done okay on, but we're not to the end of the season, so he's only missed two so far. Um, 
but the targets are right on schedule. And it, even if he were to increase himself to five targets per game, uh, he only finishes with 72 targets for the year. I don't think anybody's going to prospectively look at Odell Beckham and say, yeah, that's a guy who can give us 110 targets next year playing full-time because he missed time with the Ravens and, oh, we pass the ball all the time. The Ravens hardly ever pass the ball. Some of that is true. I just don't believe that people are going to project forward and say that Beckham is a guy who can do that. So I think his days of double-digit earnings, uh, millions earnings, uh, are, are over anyway. But uh, but we'll see. And it obviously would be great for the Ravens if he finds a two-year deal somewhere for, for $28 million. That would really benefit the Ravens. Sure, sure would. And the other option would be Rashad Bateman stepping up into that void, which is probably the perfect, the ideal scenario for the Ravens. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, this yeah this illness has me a little bit concerned. Um, so my my number one guy is a, again a pairing. It's two guys who I expect both to be gone, uh, Queen and Stone. Uh, Stone has has been a mixed bag of results this year. So I'll start with him. Uh, as a very high interception total. Um, he's he's been a huge uh, component of the Ravens' back end that is that has certainly forced the ball underneath, forced other teams to play small ball where the Ravens have been devastating. And the use of Kyle Hamilton under those circumstances has been, you know, just remarkable. He's the best horizontal defender in the NFL right now. But Stone is a guy that that I think because of the missed tackle rate he's had still has a little bit to prove in these last five games. And if he really wants to earn a tremendous um, uh, number and a multi-year deal with some other team, I think um, that's a guy who really could improve his tackle rate. It might even be more important that he do that than he pick up two more interceptions, say. Um, or it might be more likely, anyway, that he could improve that than pick up two more interceptions. So uh, um, I'll let you respond to that before I give you my other guy. Sure, sure. So, Gino, um I am surprised by the tackling issues. He was a pretty short tackler in previous seasons. Looks seems to be the trend now with most people healthy. Uh, two thirds big nickel, uh, one third standard nickel with Mollet. Um, Gino, I think he's probably a player that that Eric DeCosta says here's our number, um, take it or leave it, and it's going to be a reasonably low number. But it may be we may not have the the market that he thinks he does just because of the nature of the position, I think, in some ways. Yeah, it's 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 true. And we were shocked last year when Josh Oliver went out and signed a three-year $21 million deal. Frankly, that just blew my mind that that kind mm-hmm. of thing happened with a tight end. Um, it's probably not out of the realm of possibility that some team that really has trouble at safety would go get Geno Stone and and make him their free safety or, or, or adopt the Ravens' split field look for a lot of plays and and use them in a similar role for this. So that it, it wouldn't shock me, but I, I do think that it's probably not particularly likely he gets that kind of a contract after the mixed mixed kind of results he's had. And great, he's really helped the Ravens. He's been a big part of the thing. I don't want to, don't want to beat on him at all. I just don't I don't think there's a huge market for Geno Stone out there as as you know some people would would have us believe. But but to your point, if he does excel in the last five games, that market could could uh, could crop up. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'll give you my other guy who's in the number one group is is uh, Patrick Queen. Um, Patrick Queen's on a little bit of a downer here right now, and this has been a 
unfortunate pattern in Patrick's career that he's been uh, good in stretches and bad in stretches. And you see stretches where he's making making plays, getting turnovers, creating sacks, you know, being in the right place, generally speaking, as a coverage player. And then he has lots of lots of stretches also where he makes has a lot of missed tackles and is in the in the wrong place in terms of coverage, makes coverage mistakes. And unfortunately, he's in one of those trends right now where he's had, I believe, 11 missed tackles in the last five games. Uh, that's way too many. And inside linebackers are largely judged on that missed tackle number. Uh, so he's a he's a player who uh, has a lot to prove these last five games. And in fact, hopefully the last nine games with the Ravens or eight games. Let's hope for that. Um, that uh, they have a chance to uh, see Queen tackle well and hopefully leave town with a ring. Definitely one of the players with uh, something to gain here. I believe someone posted online the valuation and a mock contract, and Patrick Crean gave a thumbs down. And I want to say, I don't recall exactly. I think it was 67 million for four years. So what's 67 million? 16.75. 16.75. Yeah. So, so, and that's, and he thumbs down that. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, there are some teams. We saw some teams pay up. We saw Chicago pay up for Tremaine Edmonds after trading away Roquan. There's still some teams that don't want any piece of a, of a expensive linebacker. And he's playing Will. You know, at the end of the day, I think most smart GMs are saying, this is how he played before he was next to Roquan. This is how he played after. And what are we buying here? So, but it, it is – I think he might be the key as far as – he does generate a lot of splash plays. I think that's his saving grace, maybe even more than Roquan this year. So uh, maybe I think very important to the Ravens rest of this season. Uh, I'm just not quite sure there is there is going to be a whole lot of difference in what he gets paid. Um, I think he's kind of – there's kind of a max number there almost no matter what he does. Right. I, I've, I, yeah, I've seen conversation online says between 18 and 20 and, and Edmonds is given as the, as the floor for what he could make. And the, and the top would be Roquan. So it's somewhere in there. It's only 18 and 20 is the only difference between those two. I actually think queen probably makes a little bit less. Um, yeah. and, and I think you're exactly right is um, they, they, uh, they have the before and after look, not, not just of Roquan, but when he was playing Mike and when he was playing will. So if some other right. team moves to, wants him to move him back to Mike, or they want to move him into a two down thumper with him at will, and then moving to Mike on passing downs, which is another possibility, then they're going to look more heavily at um, what he does as a, um, as a pass defender you're asking him to learn more things than I'm not saying that's impossible. I'm just saying, you know, he's been in the league four years now, and that's been one of the slower things to come about is him really kind of figuring out how to, how to play defense, understanding what's going on behind him and whatnot. So he's, I, I, I'm happy for queen and what he's done this year. I, I just, you know, Roquan came from a terrible situation and came to the Ravens in a very great structure with a great DC and has been fantastic. Um, Queen is coming from that environment and going somewhere else, presumably where they're going to need a guy to take the green dot. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think it is a a mission fraught with peril for that new team. Completely agree, but let's hope he he uh, cashes in, <laughs> has the best cashes in, and, and and returns the best compensatory pick possible. So uh, that would be my goal. Moving on to my number one guy, and a uh, little bit of a sad story here, but. To me, it's Ronnie Stanley. I think he's playing for his career, uh, maybe not necessarily his career, but his his career as being as looked upon as a starting player. 
He's missed 36 of the last 56 games. He is PFF's 46th best offensive tackle this year uh, per, per their grading. He's below day three rookies, several day three He's even below former Raven Jermaine Illuminor, who's playing tackle for the Raiders and, and, and has played more snaps than Ronnie. Um, OTC values him at only $2.5 million versus a $26 million cap number in 2024. I think he needs to not only play out this season without play almost every snap, but play better, or he really is at risk of joining the likes of Dwayne Brown and Donovan Smith and Riley Reef and Jason Peters, these just old aging offensive tackles who used to be near the top of their craft and they're just not reliable anymore. And they're and he's gonna have to either make a choice um, whether to accept backup money or to hang him up if he if he doesn't really put towards a strong finish to the season. Well, first of all, excellent choice in, in choosing Stanley because he he should have been on my list and he wasn't. You know, I'm putting Broderick Washington and Travis Jones on. And we didn't just agree to pick separate players, but this was I was doing it kind of in a rush at the end. But Ronnie Stanley, clearly an outstanding choice for this list. Um, in terms of how I grade it, um, PFF, I feel, is nice to him in terms of how they graded him this year. He's got eight penalties. Uh, those carry a much higher negative weight within my system because they, they include that option for the defense. And, they, you know, they, there's just there's penalties uh, as they as they're scored by PFF are approximately the equivalent of a pressure, I think. And, and okay. you know, in terms of a, a pressure is that amount positive and a, and, a, and a penalty is that amount negative. And I think it's minus one and plus one. And that just does not make any sense to me. Right. So right. Uh, anyway, I've got very, very different numbers on that. A penalty, a holding penalty is approximately as bad as a sack. And if you think about it, it's, you know, there's a loss on the play. There is also, you don't lose it down, but it also has the option value to it. That is very troublesome. So uh, it, it, anyway, that's, that's the reason why I did it that way. And, and I've, I've contemplated changing it many times, haven't done it. The other thing is I don't really grade him as high in terms of, um, uh, First of all, missed blocks, he's got more. And also, I've got him for about the same number of pressures in total. But for whatever reason, they've got a much higher passing grade on and pass blocking grade than I do. So I don't mm-hmm. I don't really understand it. But anyway, for, for me, Ronnie Stanley has been right at the replacement level this year. Go one grade up from that at like a C minus level. Replacement level for me is like right on the border between a D minus and an F. So if okay. the, the go up one grade level and you're at Patrick McCary, grow up two grade levels and you're at Morgan Moses. I mean, hmm. they really are at a point where they they have to seriously consider whether they just have to put McCary in if if Stanley can't handle the job. And um, if if it weren't for the enormous barriers to starting over at left tackle, I, don't, I think it would be a done deal for next year. But the, the barriers are so huge um, that that they may want to do it and i'm also afraid that stanley may just decide after this year hey guys this isn't working out i'm not i'm not the player i used to be it's it's time to retire right and it's not his fault it was a freak injury that really got into uh you know nerve damage and that sort of thing but it's uh it is it's very pivotal pivotal uh final stretch of the season for ronnie stanley and what that means to his career and uh i hope i hope it it ends well i uh, one of my one of the group chats I'm in, somewhere, I think it was Dan sent a, a mock a mock draft yesterday, and uh, apparently you, you can trade Ronnie Stanley for a second round pick on PFF Simulator. So I, I don't, I don't think I don't know. I think there's a bug in the system on that one. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that I think we jump on that. 
and and yeah, you know, you'd, you'd, so. you'd pick your chances on a second round pick. Right, Voss, always a pleasure to do the show with you. We 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 thought we had almost nothing to talk about today, but this is, I think, a you know, a really interesting discussion about a variety of topics. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Absolutely. I am at Vasilis Beatdown on Twitter X V A S I L I S Beatdown. Uh, you can also uh, find me at Baltimore Beatdown blog as a writer and editor. And I have a Ravens Way, uh, we call it the Ravens Way Podcast. Another podcast streams streams live most Thursday nights at Ravens Way Pod. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. It's still the bye week. We still have a chance to, to record some more shows. They'll be released uh, over the next couple of weeks, but would love to uh, find that little kernel of something you want to discuss that could be done in about 15 to 30 minutes and uh, provide some shorter content for listeners who might be intimidated by these one hour shows. For Vasilikos, this is Ken McCusick saying goodbye, and we'll talk to you next week on Friday Morning GM. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.